Welcome back everyone. I'm your host Natalia and we're in a brand new sermon series called Transformed in which we'll talk about seven key areas of our life. This series is borrowed from Pastor Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life. We're back in conversation with Pastor Jeremy, so let's quickly hop into the content for today. Hello Pastor Jeremy. Hi Natalia. That's wonderful to be back here with a brand new series. Looking forward to the thoughts and what we're going to see come out of this particular series. This is going to be very practical, it's going to be very simple but profound and as we give attention to our lives, the different areas of our lives, I think we're going to find God's power and our own common sense go to work in uh, in seeing some good changes and ultimately transformation which which God brings about in us. So thank you and thank you for your hard work and I look forward to the way this series or this podcast is shared by you lovely people out there who understand, benefit and pass it on to others. Nobody's going to know about it until you tell them because we are not doing anything uh, to publicize. We're not going to take any play any stunts, you know, to to get this word out. We're expecting you, uh, those of you who are blessed by it, to let others know so that we get it out there. So let's get started. You mentioned two very similar yet very distinct phrases, which I would love for you to elaborate. Peace of mind and mind of peace. Mind of peace the mind of peace, that's a concept that is in the scriptures. Jesus is the one who said, come unto me, all you are heavy laden, I will give you rest. That's a mindset. He says, I will be with you in times of trouble. He has. That's a mindset. He says, remember that I will never leave you, never forsake you. The words and assurances that there's a pile of them, of all the promises in scripture. More important than all of them is his words to us in the gospel of John. He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not like the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And uh, many of you have heard that passage of scripture, but when you stop and think about what he's talking about, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The whole world is looking for peace of mind, from meditation to emptying your mind. And uh, let me just tell you that that's never going to work but emptying your mind all the way to filling your mind with all sorts of indulgences and excitement, all the way to drugs, which is pretty much the same thing where they're trying to get a high so that there's a sense of tranquility and peace for of mind. Why do you think people drink? Why do you think people uh, get on drugs? Why do you think people look for an extreme measure? It's so that the normal thoughts that plague our mind, the normal you know, things we think about that disturb us, hurt us, uh, bring back memories. We, we want to drown that out, either drown it out with silence or drown it out with something louder, more ecstatic, more exotic, uh, more entertaining. All of that is one big loud cry for peace of mind. And here's where we're, we've got the cart before the horse. We will never find peace of mind until we understand that the peace of mind is found in the mind of God. So God says in his scripture, he says, the Holy Spirit has been given to us. And who understands the heart of man than the spirit of man? Stick with me here. Who understands the heart of man than the spirit of man? And then he says, who understands the heart of God, the mind of God, than the spirit of God? Paul says in his uh, in his epistles, he says, and we have been given the mind of Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ. Now, what does that mean? God is at peace. God is at peace with himself. God is the only 
being who is truly at peace. He not only is at peace, but he is the source and author of peace. He can bring about peace because he's almighty. He can bring about peace because his will gets done. He can bring about peace because nobody can threaten him, nobody can displace him, nobody can come between him and his will. His will gets done. His mind is at peace. And then the Bible says the Spirit of God gives us the mind of Christ. So that's the mind of peace. Now you got to move into a lifestyle of letting your mind be renewed by the things that come from the mind of God. How does God communicate his mind? The same way we communicate our mind, words. So how do we fill our minds with peace? With the word of God. God speaks and God's peace fills our mind. So the more our mind is filled with the word of God, the more our mind is filled with the peace of God. And we receive not peace of mind, but we receive the mind of peace. Emptying and filling your mind and then filling my mind with the word of God. That totally makes a lot of sense now that you put it so well in that thought. We've got a great question from Ms. Susan Peter. Susan, could you go ahead? This Sunday when you expounded the prodigal son parable, it's one of our favorite ones always. But if you delve a little deeper into it, I was wondering, uh, I can understand a parent's heart and a child's heart. You know, when the child returns, there's always joy and welcome, despite what the child has done. But I'm wondering whether that is something that can be done for all relationships. Say, for instance, um, a spouse goes out and has other affairs or a business partner cheats on the other one or, you know, any of those kind of relationships which are not parent-child relationships. Will the same amount of forgiveness be given? Will everything be accepted and uh, forgiven? Uh, So are there more wider repercussions that this passage is talking about? Just wanted a little clarification on that. Susan, thank you so much for that question. And I'm so glad questions are coming out of this because then we can really take apart the face meaning of what we're talking about and go deeper into what it may or even may not mean. And that's so important for us to do that. So if we are going to dig deeper for scrutiny into the meaning of the passage, we have to be honest to the author's intent. Uh, This passage is taken from uh, Luke, and Luke is one of the Gospels. Jesus is telling a story. His audience is uh, the Pharisees, by and large. We also have the scribes standing around. We have got the Jewish audience standing around. So Jesus was talking to them, and he's making a point. And the original point has to be clarified before we could move on. But first, let me just respond by saying, no, this best applies to sinners coming back to God. If you are going to superimpose this story— and kind of focus on the heart of God, the missional heart of God, the lavish grace of God, etc. So it's best applying to sinners coming back to God as rebellious children to perhaps a gracious father. Yes, there is evidence that there was acceptance. There was uh, reconciliation between that son, the second boy who ran away, and his father. We see that in the context of the truthful, honest meaning of the parable in the original and rightful understanding of the text. The story of the prodigal son is better entitled the story of the arrogant or the unforgiving brother. Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees and the story was to imply that they, the Jews, the leadership of the Jews, the Pharisees, the scribes, were the older brother in this scenario. That they were always part of the family and were struggling to accept 
the Gentiles that God was bringing from everywhere all around the world, these people were the prodigal son. They were the ones coming back to God. And he was trying to put into a story how the sentiment lay between the two brothers, returning to the father as they did from every nation of the earth. But the truth is, the father is going to accept, he will accept them and give them an equal share in the commonwealth of Israel, give them an equal share in forgiveness in his kingdom and give it to them at par with the older brother. That means the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. And uh, even though he was faithful, even though he was there all along, and that is really a hard pill to swallow uh, for the Jewish people, for those who were faithful and you could even superimpose this on on our own lives and, you know, how we feel, hey, I've never done that or haven't sinned that bad or haven't gone that far from God. But, you know, my brother got away with it. My sister got, got away with it. And they they just seem to have even more. In fact, people who have a terrible past seem to be celebrated in churches today. Almost they have a quote-unquote more powerful testimony. And those who've just grown up you know, on stage uh, or in, in the Sunday school or whatever, it's almost don't have, we're almost ashamed that we don't have a testimony. So that that's kind of where our mind takes us when we when it comes to these things. My point is simply this, it's already been stretched out of context to apply to, let's say, sinners coming back to God. So it's best just left at that, for only God has the strength and capacity to forgive like that, quite honestly. So to answer your question, no, I don't think this applies to everyone, anyone. It is not a story of forgiveness, not really. It is more a story of, are you okay with the mercy of God? Are you okay with the grand plan of God to bring salvation to all peoples at equal levels? And everybody gets into the kingdom. Everybody gets in, you know, think about the guy on the on the cross, last minute, you know, no baptism, no correct theology, no membership class, no, uh, you know, proving himself in discipleship, uh, turning back, following Christ, not even a chance to backslide, and he goes straight to heaven. So that's that's God. I mean, even some of the other parables that Jesus brings up has to do with seasons during which he goes and hires out. Do you remember that one? When he hires out uh, slaves and he hires out people uh, well in the beginning of the game and then right at the end in the last hour he hires people and then at the end he pays everybody equally and we're pulling our hair out I'm like that's not fair no grace is not fair grace is not fair but God doesn't show more grace to some and less grace to others I think we all need to be stand on the same level and say we all are in need of the same amount of grace we all need the same amount of Jesus to get into heaven and that's pretty much 100% so that's the real heart of the story. Now, let me dig deeper. Firstly, we do not want to apply this to every given situation. And the reason for that is if we're going to apply it, then you've got to really superimpose the story on every aspect. And as Sister Susan was asking, he never repented. He never repented. He never, he never showed remorse. What about the money that was lost? What about the years of pain and agony caused to the father? What about the humiliation, the loss of honor to the family name? What about, uh, you know, all the relationships, the, the women he slept with, the, the life he lived? What about the damage of sin itself on his life? None of that is inventored when he comes back to the father. All we see is you come in and you get a party for coming back. It's almost like a spoiled child who will get anything he wants at the end. So that is where it gets wrong to superimpose 
this parable on just about any and every situation. This does not apply to any every such situation and definitely not to all of us in all our given relationships. Let me say it this way. When we come to a place where we need forgiveness, do you remember the story of Nicodemus? There is required to be not only a sorry, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry I got caught. Not only is there a sorry required, there is a retribution that's required. There is a making amends that is called on by God to do, you know. He did not do that. The boy did not do that. That tells us that this story is not about that. It's about saying the kingdom of God is open to all. Even if you come in the last minute, everybody needs to be happy about it. And there's a party in heaven for all who get saved. That's what it's about. But when you talk about forgiveness, repentance, reconciliation, there needs to be a few tears shed. There needs to be a sorry. There needs to be repentance. There needs to be a changing of behavior. It calls for an accounting of all that was lost in the process. There must be that. And that is not negated. God does not negate that. I could give you lots of other scriptures that support that. So in defense of the view that this story does not apply to any and every situation, you could stop and ask, yeah, but he never ever said sorry, or he never made amends for his, what about the shame of his father? What about the shame of his family name? What about the wasted years, the lost years? That's important. That is important. Okay, so then how would it be wrong when we look into the character of the second son? Yeah, I mean, furthermore, when you look at uh, what caused him to turn and come back to the father, look at that, for instance. He's in the pigsty, okay? His money is finished, and there was a famine at the same time. A lot of times we come back to God because circumstances have changed, not because our hearts have changed. And in this given situation, it's not because he felt sorry for his father's name being uh, dragged in the mud, because he left his father, because of his insubordination, because of his uh, broken fellowship with his father, because of what he did that was wrong. He didn't seem to show any remorse or he wasn't sorry or broken or repentant about his choices and his lifestyle. He just felt sorry for himself and he kind of now was in a place where he's like, everything's gone, spent, over, and he doesn't know what to do with himself. And at the end of his tether, at the end of his, he remembers a better place, which involves his father, which is by and large the misuse of the grace of God. And I think many believers, when we think about today, is, is just that. We know the prodigal son. We know the story. We know how it ends. So we think that that's going to be our end. Yeah, exactly. So um, earlier also you spoke about like how powerful testimonies of a messed up life. And as compared to like the first son who diligently was doing everything and like, I mean, made a few wrongs here and there, but nothing so much to mess up his life, right? So how can we actually deal with that kind of grace from God? Because it's equal. That's what it just keeps bringing us back to the interpretation of this, uh, this parable. We've got to be very careful in the way we interpret it for ourselves and for others as well. Uh, pastors have gone to town with this uh, for, just to, to draw in people to the grace of God. And right, rightly so. I get it. But let me throw another verse at, at you. God hates sinners. No. Uh, we, we're told God hates sin and loves the sinner. No. God hates sinners. God 
is repulsed by pride. He is repulsed by, he finds pride sickening to the stomach. He hates sin. He hates darkness. He hates injustice. He hates divorce. He hates an unjust balance. He hates unforgiveness. The scriptures are very clear about the things that God does not compromise on. He does not hate. He's not going to change his character. You get the feel here? My point is that it's not all grace. Grace is only beautiful when law has been applied. And when you get through the process of reading out the charge sheet, and when the whole court has heard the charge sheet, and your sins are hanging in the air there in a long list that are condemning you, and everyone on the jury knows you need to go straight to jail. It is only in that moment if the judge shows mercy. In that moment, in the light of that charge sheet, when the judge shows grace, then is that grace valuable. We are not willing to look at that. We are not willing to look at our sin, inventor our sin. We're not willing to even admit the fact. So we are very much like this boy. We just have remembered, you know, oh, I've screwed up so bad. Now I just need to return to God. In my head, I always knew I could return to God. In my head, I always knew that I could, uh, how the story ends. So in the end, I'm just going to go. And there's a there are a couple of religions, by the way. I'm not going to mention them. But you know, a couple of religions that believe in the ultimate grace of God. Those false religions as well as false theologies that are being taught on Christian stages where the, the grace of God is so irresistible that eventually God is going to save everybody because God is a good God and how can he let anybody go to hell anyway? So we've got to be super careful and reverent about the way we handle these passages of Scripture. And let's look at the private and personal and practical aspects of that given situation. No, the boy did not repent because he felt sorry for his sin, his brokenness. He did not see the wrong he had done his father. He admitted that he had wronged his father, but he did not turn his ways because of that. It was because of a desperate situation. So this is only one case scenario. You could look at many, many cases, but because this passage of scripture, this parable does not deal with regular people like you and me and regular people like you and me forgiving each other, we cannot superimpose this passage on us. We can at best look at the grace of God and remember two things. Number one, God is a merciful God, uh, will show mercy when there is repentance, and that God will turn anyone he wants back to himself, no matter how bad, no matter how long it takes. So I think these are, these are matters that need to be looked at, and this conversation is not over. We need to keep talking about how we need to live reverently in the grace of God, reverently, but in the grace of God. It's like living under an umbrella, but not forgetting it's raining. You know there's an umbrella. That's why the rain's not getting you wet. But be sure about the fact it's raining. And I don't know if you got what I was just trying to say, but uh, let's live reverently uh, before our God. Those are some great thoughts. Thank you so much. And keep your questions coming in. You can write to us at pscjeremy at gmail.com. And don't forget to like and share this podcast wherever you're consuming it, on YouTube, on your podcast app, Spotify, etc. And we're going to see you in the next podcast where we talk about from stressed to blessed.